Drabblecast B-Sides 79, My Father's Crab by Bruce McAllister. Bruce is an American writer best known for his science fiction, fantasy, and literary fiction. His short fiction, which he began publishing as a teenager, has appeared over the years in numerous genre magazines, original anthologies, and year's best anthologies. He won the National Endowment for the Arts Writing Award and has been a finalist for the Hugo, Nebula, Locus, and Shirley Jackson Awards. Bruce grew up in a Navy family with marine science and anthropology slash archaeology interests. You'll see that come through in his writing. And so, without further ado, we bring you My Father's Crab by Bruce McAllister. We're not alone in the universe. Even crabs know that. Watch them sometime. Jasper Cummings, marine biologist, Scripps Institute of Oceanography, 1962. I don't know where it was, that miniature golf course in the sand, but it had to be the Gulf of Mexico somewhere. We were driving from one coast to the other, like always. The Great Southern Route, my dad called it. It had to be Florida, Mississippi, Louisiana, or Texas, one of them. I was seven, and my dad had driven us across the U.S. and back half a dozen times by then. Looking back, I don't know why a young officer doing top-secret work for the Navy was making that many cross-continental trips by car, But maybe it was what his constant reassignments demanded. Or maybe he just liked to be on the road, see relatives, get away from his desk, whichever coast it was on. That changed as he moved up the ranks and was given more responsibility. But I remember what he was like back then in the 50s, the Cold War, when he and I would play miniature golf whenever we would go to the other coast. My mother and her mother, my grandmother, who lived with us, would watch TV in the motel rooms or go shopping for souvenirs in the beach towns. We were happy on those trips. My dad was the boy who left the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia to see the world. I'd never seen him quite that happy and alive until the end of his life, when he wasn't in the same world as the rest of us. It was evening. That was half the fun. The golf course had a hundred lights strung on wires, and all were shining brightly so people could play as late as possible. You could hear the ocean somewhere, but the sand was close. You'd step in it if you didn't watch yourself. It was fun, the sand still warm from the day's sun on your bare feet while you tried to get the ball into the miniature castle or windmill. When you did, you got to listen to it spin around inside the little structure and make its way to the next hole, this one a loop-de-loop or tiny mansion or an alligator with an open mouth. Great job, Brad, my father would shout, even if it weren't a great job. Four attempts to get the ball into a candy cane house. He said it the same way he'd say, rise and shine or up and at him in the mornings to wake me up. Corny lines, but I loved them. 
These trips were the only time I got to do much with them, and they mattered too, I could tell. When we were at home and home changed every year or two, he'd leave for work in San Diego or San Francisco or Washington, D.C. so early I'd have to get up at five if I wanted to have breakfast with him, Cheerios, of course, and listen to the radio together before he headed out. He'd return at 6.30 in his uniform, change into civilian clothes, and after dinner fall asleep in front of the TV watching Edward R. Murrow or Perry Mason. Watching him sleep, I'd get sleepy too. That evening, as we reached the farthest hole, where the ocean waves were loudest, he looked down at the sand and laughed. <laughs> well, would you look at that? And I did, and jumped. There were crabs everywhere, gray-green and walking sideways, and about as interested in the little buildings on the holes as they were in us. Where were they heading? I had no idea. Where are they going, Dad? Who knows? He was staring at them the same way I was. I remember that, as if they were the most remarkable things in the world. Which they were. The ocean breeze ruffling our hair and freezing time forever. Sometimes, he said, crabs migrate. Sometimes they've got some place they're going, and they'll cross fields and swamps and roads to get there. Do you think... That's what they're doing right now, then? Nah, I think they're here to play miniature golf. At that, he grabbed me and swung me around, laughing, and my club flew into the twilight. When we'd retrieved it, I said, Can we hit them like golf balls? What? Can we, can we hit them like balls? He looked at me and then at the nearest sidestepping crab, then at my golf club. I, mean, I guess so. I thought it would be cool. I wanted to see them fly through the air, crabs that could fly. We hit a dozen. They didn't fly very well. They did come apart, claws going one direction and carapace going another, and I could tell my dad's art wasn't in it. He liked living things, and I did too. But I was a kid. I liked to experiment. When we stopped swinging, he picked up one of the crabs we hadn't hit holding it behind the shell where the claws couldn't get him. Then he carried it to a light and looked at it, watching the legs and claws flail, trying to pinch him. That was cool too, I remember thinking, how you could hold them that way and they couldn't get you. I was glad we hadn't killed any more than we had. Look at this thing, Brad. This is a different species than the ones in the Keys. I looked closely. He was right. It was the same color as some of the crabs in Key West. What made this one so strange was its shell. It looked plastic. All crab shells look like they've been made in molds, but they don't look like toys. And this one did. Maybe it's not a crab, I said. Well, of course it's a crab, Brad. An arthropod. A crustacean. It's just a kind we haven't seen before. When we get to San Francisco, we'll see new kinds there, too. My dad loved sea life. He didn't just want to float in ships on the seven seas, be a sailor serving the world. He wanted to know what was living in those seas, miles and miles down, what kinds of ships you could build to explore them. If he could have gotten to take a bath escape, which he almost got to do a few years later, to the bottom of the Marianas Trench, he would have. 
He was an engineer, an inventor, a naturalist at heart, not a battleship captain or a warrior. I didn't know it, but the work he was doing then was about special warfare, sonar for finding Russian submarines, jammers to stop them from firing missiles, microwave communications before anyone really knew what microwave was, the beginnings of GPS. As a lieutenant in undersea research, he was interested in what would help our country defend itself, sure, but he was also interested in how marvelous it all was, the sea, everything in it, creatures and the human beings visiting it. I loved my father, if for no other reason than that he loved living things. I know that now. You're a living thing too, Brad, he told me one day. Don't you ever forget that, a wonderful living thing. So I knew he loved me too. But it looks like plastic, I said. Yes, it does, but it's moving, so it must be alive, right? Did you know there's a crab where your mom was born, on the Big Island, a kind called Carpilius that has spots on it like a cow, and another one, Big Island too, that has pom-poms on its claws, like a cheerleader, and dozens of kinds, big and small, that can pull their claws in to make boxes of themselves so no one can get into them. Really? Yes. His eyes were bright and wide, and my heart skipped a beat, what wonderful things to know. Does this one make a box? I asked. I don't think so. It's long and thin, like a runner. The crab was still flailing, trying to pinch, but all I could do was stare at its shell. The surface was bumpy in a too perfect way, and that made it look like a toy, too. And the color patterns, green on gray, weren't very natural looking either. They looked like a commando's camouflage. Before I could ask him about that, he jerked and nearly dropped the thing. One of its claws had pinched him. Oh, that was stupid of me. He put the crab down on the sand, let go, and shook his hand, the one the claw had gotten. Now that hurts. He was looking at his hand. I was too. There was a mark near his wrist, and for a moment I thought the skin was wiggling there, that something was in it and moving around. But then it wasn't moving, and I looked up at my dad. He looked a little white, as if he might be feeling dizzy. You okay? Sure, it just surprised me. He was lying, I could tell. He didn't feel good, but what could I do? I was a kid. Back at the motel, where I had my sleeping bag on the floor, and my grandmother had her own room next to ours, Dad lay down on the bed. Shouldn't you go to an emergency room? My mother asked, her long hair beautiful as always. She was Hawaiian. A lot of Navy men had Hawaiian wives after the war. He'd met her in Pearl Harbor when his ship, his first cruise after the Academy, almost sank that famous day. It's feeling better. If it's worse tomorrow morning, I'll go. Crabs don't carry rabies and aren't poisonous, so I'm sure I'm okay. He was falling asleep, tired for some reason. As he lay there on his back, I walked quietly over to him and looked at his hand. The pinch mark, which looked more like a big spider bite, hadn't gotten any worse. Again, I thought I could see something wiggling under the skin near the wrist, but Dad didn't seem to feel it, so I had to be wrong. Besides, skin didn't wriggle like that. The rest of the way to San Francisco, Dad scratched his hand but didn't look white or dizzy anymore. 
We stayed in a motel in Palo Alto for a week, looking for a house a lieutenant could afford, and finally moved in when the van arrived from Florida. He was still itching. You need to go see a doctor, my mother insisted, her brown eyes flashing. It could be infected. Yes, infected, my grandmother added. She would have wrapped his hand in herbs she dug herself with an O had she been born in 1898 near Pahua and near traditional Hawaiian cures, but he wasn't going to let her do that. I wasn't there for the meeting. School had started, but I heard them talking about it. The doctor thought I might have a splinter of crab shell in me, but he couldn't find one even when he opened it up. Does he want you to take any medication for it? Yes, just in case. Well, be sure you do that, John. I will, Beatrice. My dad got better. He stayed better. And before long, we all forgot about the crab pinch. In three years, he was a commander. We were living in San Diego, and he was an executive commander of a Navy research laboratory. More anti-submarine warfare research. It was a beautiful bay, San Diego, and I knew I wanted to be a marine biologist. It's what my father would have been if he hadn't joined the Navy, I told myself. We lived near the bay on the base, had a beach we could use, and two little boats, and a tiny base grocery store, even a barber shop. Life was easy, and I could collect all the ocean creatures I wanted. One day after school, I came home and found my father lying in bed in their bedroom. He looked white. What's wrong, Dad? I asked. Mom wasn't back from the high school where she taught, and Grandma never came up to the second floor since her bedroom was downstairs. Sometimes, Brad, he answered, scratching his wrist. I think I got a bug of some kind that day. Do you remember? Yes. You can get a bug, and it'll last for years, coming and going and coming and going. Do you feel sick? Uh, just a little, once every couple of months. I'm sorry. Oh, nothing to worry about. Why? A voice whispered in me. Why did it choose him? Back then I didn't even know what the question meant. It was a whisper, an idea I could barely see. He went to see a Navy doctor. My mom was pushing for an answer, and the doctor did blood tests, probed more, took more x-rays. Some things don't show up on x-rays, I remember thinking. I was in middle school now. Again, they'd found nothing. He felt better in a couple of days and went back to living our lives. One Sunday, when he was napping, I went to their bedroom and watched him for a long time. I don't know why. I watched him breathe, worried about him even though he hadn't said he felt sick. I was afraid he was going to stop breathing. That was silly, and I knew it. I wasn't five or six anymore with fears like that. I was thirteen and knew better. He twitched once or twice. I moved in closer, putting my face down next to his arm, and for the first time in years I could see it. I could see the skin move again. I jerked back in surprise. My chair moved and my dad woke up. What's going on, Brad? He asked. Nothing. I just wanted to see how you were doing. He looked at me strangely. We talked for a while, and then I let him go back to his nap. If he didn't catch up on his sleep on the weekends, he couldn't do his top-secret work well for the Navy, could he? He might get sick, too. Sleep was important, I knew. 
Three years later, he was an executive officer of a NATO anti-submarine warfare research center in Italy, a big step up from San Diego, and we were all living in a fishing village not far from that center. We'd be there for two years, the Navy said. My mother and grandmother loved it, the green hills and the beautiful Ligurian Sea, but I didn't know what to think. I left my friends behind and didn't know if I'd make new ones. I'd forgotten about Dad's illness because he never talked about it, didn't show, and I thought it disappeared a long time ago. I'd asked him once, back in San Diego, and he'd said, Think of it like malaria. It won't kill you, but you feel lousy sometimes. I could have gone to a base school in the Navy port of Liverno to the south, but Dad wanted me to learn the language and stay closer. With a tutor helping the first summer we were there, I pulled it off, and the more Italian I learned, and the more days I attended school, the more friends I made. Even two girls, one part German with braids, the other dark with the biggest eyes I'd ever seen. Dad liked to take me on Saturdays out to fish in the village cove. The fish were tiny but very colorful, and the place was like a pretty postcard. We could swim with masks, check out the fish and other creatures, talk about them all, and get back late with no complaints from Mom. She knew it made us both happy. We didn't have TV, or at least didn't watch it much, but I knew from the adults and the American kids who went to school in Laverno that the Russians were about to do something. It was in the news. Everyone was scared. My dad and I hadn't talked about it, but I knew it was on his mind. It would have to be. Besides, he had a newspaper with him that day in the little boat and kept looking at it while our line sat in the water, bobbers not bobbing. He was reading an article and then suddenly stopped. He stared at the page, no, past it, and cocked his head as if hearing someone talking. He wasn't blinking. Then he was blinking again as if he'd just come awake. Jesus, he cried, sat bolt upright. The little boat rocked, fear racing through my chest, but it wasn't about capsizing. I didn't know what it was about. Why didn't Navy SOC tell us, Dad was saying. I had no idea what that meant. It was a Navy acronym, but I'd never heard it before. His eyes were wide open. And then he stared into space again, was quiet for a long time, long enough that I got scared again, and suddenly began talking. But it wasn't to me. I didn't understand what he was saying. It was English, sure, not another language, but every other word was technical. He was talking as if someone who could understand it were there in the boat with us, wanting to know, and it was time for him to report. He was white as a sheet, but he didn't sound scared. He was just white. He had a short-sleeved shirt on. Something moved on his arm near the wrist. I could see it. Anyone could have. It was moving to the words he was speaking. He talked, and whatever it was in the skin listened. That's how it felt, though I had no idea what this meant. I was scared, sure. The world was a scary enough place, with the Russians putting down a revolution in Hungary, launching a satellite, frightening everyone with the kind of submarine my dad was trying to defend us against. And now this. This wasn't a bug you got from a crab, I told myself. This was something else. I wasn't dumb, and I wasn't a kid anymore. I thought of the movies people were seeing, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It came from outer space, and all the others. Movies my mother hated, but my dad loved to see with me. 
I wondered again whether a crab could be something other than a crab, whether there were things in the universe that could think and watch us even if they weren't like us. And then it was over. My dad relaxed, color returned to his cheeks, and he said, let's go in. I need to contact a couple of people at the center. There's something they need to know. Without explaining why, I let my mom know dad needed to have his arm checked again. She pressed, but that's all I would say. He needs to have it checked, mom. The doctors, even a team on the base at Laverno, still couldn't find a thing. They didn't know you could make incredible things out of plastic. And the thing the crab had put my dad, when I was seven years old, moved in his skin only when it was told to. When something in our world was important enough, scary enough, to have to wake it and listen and transmit, so that those who'd made it could do what they needed to do. I didn't think all these things at once. They came in fragments, whispers, and it wasn't until I was a man myself that I saw all in a single picture, a lifetime to make a picture. Someone had been watching and listening and wanting to make sure we didn't destroy the seas, not the land, the seas. When my dad was 80, he got dementia, Alzheimer's. It ran in his family. Dementia is common enough in the world, especially after a certain age, but this was different. With each passing year of dementia, he lived more and more in the sea, with the creatures that lived there, with the wonders of it, both in our seas and in others. His doctors had never seen anything like it. He was so happy, they said. Alzheimer's usually has its darkness. His didn't. Sometimes he was a whale, sometimes a seal, sometimes something he just couldn't describe. Sometimes he lived for weeks in a submersible at the darkest depths of the sea where fish had lights and worms that were usually only a few inches long in our world were the size of ships. His eyes were always wide when he described these things, as if he were already in heaven and could spend his days reporting how beautiful it all was. Sometimes, he said, he was an immense crab-like thing in a purple sea, happy to be there, but knowing that creatures in distant seas by distant stars needed to be cared for too, that machines, ships that didn't travel on water, needed to be built so that what needed to be done could be done. Sometimes, he said, he was a mechanical thing, tiny, one of a thousand crawling things across the sands of another world, or flying through its skies, or scampering across its fields, waiting for an alien creature to pick it up, to present skin and flesh so that the device could be delivered, and that it could begin to tell what it needed to tell to keep the world from dying. Sometimes, he once told my mother and me he was the purple sea itself, alive and aware, wanting only the joy and wonder of living things to last. Were they grateful to him? I'm sure they were. All of this, his dreams, his heaven, his happiness, not fear and worry, that's what you give someone who's worked for you his whole life if he never knew it. I did become one, a marine biologist. And as the years pass, I'm still waiting for my crab.
story. Hope you enjoyed it. Special thanks to our Kickass episode artist for this story, Kagdas Demrap. Kagdas is a freelance illustrator from Turkey who loves fantasy universes. He graduated with a degree in animation and likes creating concept art and character designs. And special thanks to you, our Drabblecast B-Side subscriber, for supporting the Drabblecast and helping us do what we do. We greatly appreciate it. Just like you.